Welcome back to another solo episode of the podcast. This episode will be part two of the Moses and Khidr story. So, please be sure to check out the previous episode if you haven't for the first chapter of the story. We paused the story at chapter 18, verse 17, when Khidr, who is the personification of the spiritual master and the esoteric path, agrees to have Moses accompany him under the condition that he doesn't ask any questions. We pick up our story from there. But before we get into the details, it is best to explain the general motif of the narrative. Basically, Khidr and Moses go through a sequence of three events, and in each Moses, contrary to Khidr's instructions, questions him on the significance of what took place. Khidr doesn't actually answer Moses until they get to the end of their journey. So now, let us get into the meat of the story. The three events which Khidr and Moses go through, as put down by the Qur'an, are as follows. Event number one. Khidr and Moses embark on a ship, and Khidr starts poking holes on the ship, nearly causing it to sink. Moses is outraged and questions Khidr as to why he's doing that. Khidr reminds Moses that he warned him that he will not be able to endure patiently. Moses apologizes, and they proceed. Event Number two, Khidr and Moses meet a young boy, who Khidr then kills. This obviously shocks Moses, and so he questions the actions of Khidr on the innocent child. Khidr once again reminds Moses of his condition. Moses apologizes and puts down a counter-condition, that if he is to question Khidr one more time, That should be the end of their journey. And so they proceed. Event number three. Khidr and Moses arrive in a town and ask for food from its people. But they refuse them any hospitality. But then, within the same town, they come upon a wall that is about to fall, which Khidr helps fix. Moses, shocked once again, asks Khidr, why he didn't ask for anything in return, considering that they were denied hospitality to begin with. It is at this point that Khidr ends their journey, per the condition of Moses, and before they part ways, he proceeds to explain the meanings of the events. Actually, the word used in the Qur'an is ta'wil, which could also mean interpretation. The same word is used in the science of the interpretation of dreams. Like dreams, which should be taken symbolically, 
and not literally, they are to be interpreted. And so within the esoteric path, all events are seen as symbols which are interpreted to realize the hidden wisdom. As for the first event, Khidr tells Moses that the ship he seemingly damaged belonged to the natives who worked the sea. But a tyrant king was seizing all beautiful ships for himself. The external damage was a way of shattering its appeal so the king would not be interested in that particular ship. It is so interesting that their journey begins at sea, continuing with the water motif, mirroring the epics of Noah and Yonah, the ship representing the means by which the wayfarer travels from the old to the new. But we should also remember the ship represents the body which hosts the soul, and this body represents the external corporeal realm, which is the lower realm. As with anything in manifestation, which is dual in nature, we can view things either as benefic or malefic, as virtuous or vicious, and not in the moralistic sense, but in the symbolic sense. Now, the corporeal realm viewed from the malefic aspect seeks to anchor man and claim him for its own. This is represented by the king who seizes the ships, the body being the seat of carnal desires, if not tamed, can be the master of a man instead of the opposite. The spiritual master tames the body by breaking it, usually depicted by ascetic practice. Aspirants are usually taught to be vigilant with their bodies and do all things in moderation be it eating, sleeping, or fulfilling inert desires. This is to train the aspirant to have control over their body and use it as a vessel that will take them through the divine waters, not to be tamed by the lower realm, the dunya. This is also seen in various traditional rites or rituals which are prescribed to the adherents some which are physical in nature and usually require vigilance and discipline. One of the great examples will be fasting, which requires the person to abstain from eating, drinking, and fulfilling sexual desires for the duration of the fast. But this breaking process is also that of humbling the aspirant. This journey is a journey of the empty, one who comes in full of oneself isn't ready for it. See how we use this phrase to denote people who are self-centered and egoistic. They are full of themselves, right? The Quran warns us in chapter 45, verse 23, saying, Have you seen he who has taken as his God his own desire? And God has sent him astray knowingly, sealing his ears and heart, and put over his vision a veil. So who will guide him after God? Then will you not be reminded? 
we see here how man's own self can be a veil over him if he is to take his own self as the ultimate, fulfilling his every desire, appealing to the individual instead of aspiring towards the supra-individual supreme reality. Those who do so are like the tyrant king, also personified by the figure of the pharaoh. Speaking of the pharaoh, this event actually mirrors Moses' own life, as do the other two events, by the way. When Pharaoh declares to kill all newborn babies, all newborn boys or the children of Israel, God inspires Moses' mother to secure Moses in a box and have it sail on the river. This action, which externally points to loss, holds within it promise of a greater return, as Moses was picked up at the royal palace and Moses' mother was brought in to suckle Moses as no other woman was able to do so. Through self-sacrifice and annihilation, God gives us the plenitude of his treasure, which is immeasurably beyond what the self can achieve in itself. Nil, compared to the infinite reality. Moses' mother surrenders to the divine will and submits her son, who is of her own self, to the divine waters, which guide him to liberation, albeit through the belly of the beast. Ibn Arabi also says that the river on which the baby Moses sails represents divine knowledge. And so the divine river guides the baby Moses towards the fulfillment of his greater purpose, the purpose of liberation. Right? And so ultimately, yes, Moses was raised in the divine palace, but he came to liberate the children of Israel. And this liberation, historical or not, doesn't really matter, represents the liberation of man from his lower self, from the tyrant king. Proceeding to the second event, Khidr tells Moses the boy was killed because he would have been one that caused suffering to his pious parents due to rebellion and disbelief. So, through the death of the one, another who is better in purity and nearer to mercy will be gifted to the pious parents. We see in this story a reflection of Abraham's and Noah's stories. Abraham is tasked by God to sacrifice his own son. But due to both their piety and submission, God exchanges the son with a sacred animal. As for Noah, his son is taken by the flood after he refuses to board the ark with his father and the believers. God tells Noah that it was necessary as he was not amongst the ones to be liberated. Both these narratives depict the son as an extension of one's own self, and it is only through sacrifice of this self that we are liberated from confines of our ego. So Noah's son represents the lower self, Abraham's son represents the higher self, 
that is ultimately liberated after the sacrifice. Right? So the sacrifice has to happen in one mode or another. So the lower self is annihilated, the higher self is reborn. Self-annihilation is meant to at once purify us of the malice and the vicious, as represented by Noah's son, and preserve the good and the virtuous, as represented by Abraham's son. The shedding of the lower self is then gifted by the birth of the higher, as represented by the story of Moses and Khidr. So the malicious son was killed for the virtuous, pure son to be born. But Khidr's action also reflects the act of service for the other. Having insight, he realized that the pious parents would suffer because of their current child and takes his life desiring God to bless them with a pure child. The act, observed carefully, is not done for Khidr's own sake, but because of the other. This mirrors Moses' killing of the Egyptian in defense of the Hebrew. Moses was there to protect and perform an act of service, not for his own sake, but for the other. Charity and all acts of service are part of the journey to the divine and demonstrate our potential to reflect God's mercy and compassion. God tells us in the Quran, chapter 9, verse 41, Go forth in the way of God, lightly or heavily, and strive with your wealth and yourselves in the way of God. That is better for you if you but knew. In one hadith, the prophet, referring to the day of judgment, narrates that God will question those who didn't perform acts of service. I was sick, but you didn't visit me. I was hungry, but you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, but you did not quench my thirst. The people will ask God how he, the Almighty, free from all limitations, was sick, hungry, and thirsty. And God will reply by pointing to the servants who were under those conditions. This teaches us that the other is an extension of the divine reality. And by performing an act of service, we are truly transacting with God. What says in the Quran, chapter 47, verse 7, If you help God, He will help you and make firm your steps. But how can we help God, who is beyond all need? By helping the other. And from this, God will set us on the straight path to His presence. This hadith quoted above can also be read with minor differences in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 45, verses 31 to 46. Moving on to the third event. Khidr tells Moses that the wall he helped save from falling belonged to two orphan boys, and underneath it was a treasure left by their righteous father. And God desired that these two orphans should grow up to inherit the treasure as a mercy from God. Notice here the treasure is related to God's mercy. We see in this event another instance of self-sacrifice. That even though Khidr and Moses were denied hospitality by the people of the town, he helps save the orphans' inheritance without reward. And this is true altruism. 
only for God's sake. The aspirant sets out to the path not because of the fear of punishment nor for the sake of heavenly reward. The path is the path of divine realization, and that is why the aspirant is willing to go through self-sacrifice and annihilation without sight of any reward, because any reward is nil in face of God's presence. God tells us in chapter 28, verse 88 of the Quran, And call not upon another God along with God. There is no God but He. All things perish, save His face. Judgment belongs to Him, and unto Him will you be returned. So, all things are in a state of perish, except the divine reality, which is the ultimate return of all things. This is the merciful treasure that the spiritual master protects for the aspirant to inherit once they have come of age, once they have blossomed spiritually. This altruistic event mirrors that of Moses helping the two daughters of Shu'aib, or the seven daughters of Jethro in the Old Testament. Moses found the girls sitting aside with their flock unable to acquire water from the well due to the presence of stronger folk around the well. Moses sees this and helps the girls feed the flock, as he was endowed with the strength to do so. And it is because of this that Moses travels to Midian after the father requests for his presence. And it is believed that it is Shu'aib, Jethro, himself a prophet, that he taught Moses as he worked on his farm as part of his dowry to one of Shu'aib's daughters for a number of years. And it is upon his return from Midian to Egypt that Moses is initiated into prophethood. So Moses' departure from Egypt and his sojourn in Midian were meant to prepare him to receive the mantle of prophethood. And both these events are triggered by altruistic events, the one externally malefic by killing the oppressive Egyptian, the other benefic, helping the daughters of Shu'aib feed their flock, each done without expectation for any personal reward. To conclude our exploration, we see once again how even the sage Khidr views external phenomena as representations of divine truth and upon culminating his journey with Moses, imparts their interpretation to him. This teaches us that not only should we see scripture as symbolic, but all things that surround us, and one who has been granted this vision has truly been given divine wisdom. This journey has multiple stations, here symbolized in three, beginning with that of the corporeal body, that one has to tame to become a master over their desires, followed by the lower self that should be annihilated in order to be gifted with a new higher self. This lower self is usually identified as nafs al-ammara, the seducing or tempting soul, that calls towards the lower realm, distant from the divine. It is upon receiving the highest self, nafs al-mutma'inna, the pleasing soul, that one is gifted with the divine hidden treasure. This is symbolized by the wall that has to be fortified as it holds the divine secret 
underneath. We pray that God gives us, with his divine treasure, presence and mercy. Amin. Until next time, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.